fantastic, Dan. Just before I come to my message, um, really appreciate everybody who's um, put the service together and has been involved in it. Um, you've all done a, an absolutely fantastically amazing job, and uh, we really appreciate it very much. Just on the back of what Dan, Dan just did there, uh, it, it was just in my note, you know, if anybody has wanted to know a little bit more about Dan Tompkins, uh, he, he actually has got an album, so it'd be nice. Stocking filler. Here, Dan, a bit of a promotion for you. Um, and because uh, he's got a fantastic voice, there's more to come from. From Dan. Just while, while I think about that as well, I understand there's a new baby in the house because Dan, who just sung here, is also a new dad. And um, I'm trying to, where are you? Ah, oh, you're just there. So it's, it's wonderful to see Dan and Emma with us. And Emma, it's wonderful. I'll, I haven't seen you yet so far, but thrilled that everything went well. Would you mind if I just pick the little boy up and this boy has the makings of a movie star. His name is Jack Ocean. What an amazing <laughs> name. Look at this little one. Look at him. Look at him. Caroline, it's happening again. <laughs> the broodiness just waves over me. <laughs> For those who don't know me, I don't want to assume anything this morning. My name's Christian Thorpe, and I'm one of the pastors here at Arena Church, and I'm so glad that you've made it this morning, and I trust that you feel relaxed in uh, Arena Church. This is what we do every single Sunday at 10.30, and uh, we're a Christian church that loves Jesus with a passion, and it is great to welcome you here today. I heard this story recently of a burglar who broke into a house. One night he was looking for stuff to take, and... He shined his torch, looking for valuables, and when he picked up a CD player to place in his sack, a strange voice echoed from the dark saying, Jesus is watching you. He nearly jumped out of his skin, clicked his torch off and froze. And when he heard nothing more, after a bit, he shook his head, promised himself a holiday after the next big score, and he clicked the light on and began searching for more valuables. Just as he pulled a stereo out this time, clear as a bell, he heard it again. Jesus is watching you. Freaked out, he shined his torch around frantically, looking for the source of his voice. Finally, in the corner of the room, his torch beam came to rest on a parrot. Did you say that? He hissed at the parrot. Yep, the parrot confessed. Then he squawked, I'm just trying to warn you. The burglar relaxed. Warn me. Who in the world are you? Moses, replied the bird. Moses, the burglar laughed. What kind of people 
name a bird, Moses. And the parrot answered, the kind of people that would name a Rottweiler, Jesus. Today, it's my joy to be able to talk to you about this Jesus. Not Jesus the Rottweiler, but the baby born in a stable in a small town called Bethlehem. I'm one of the lucky ones. I really am. Because I genuinely love my job. I love what I do. I get to serve with great individuals and teams. In fact, all that Arena does flows from a team. But I also get to meet interesting people from chief executives of charities and local councils and companies to a young person struggling at school. Because of what I do, Invariably, the conversation can often lead to a question that we've already heard on the DVD. Is there more to my life than this? I meet many people who just exist and they don't truly live. And there is a difference. The Christmas story upon careful investigation, when we peek between the tinsel and the baubles and the dancing Santas, reveals an epic story. A baby called Jesus is born and a new dawn arrives. The people at the time of the birth were oppressed by political and economical challenges and the people were breathing but not living. Life was tough, harsh and uncertain for Mary and for Joseph and for the masses who lived at this time. Much like today really, a different generation but the same issues. Today people are wondering if their jobs are safe. Many are gripped by depression. Many wonder, where will I spend the night? Full of fear and uncertainty, with so much unhappiness gripping so many. I wonder if I'm describing your life this morning. What's the significance of a baby? I mean, the new birth of a baby has happened billions of times over the centuries. I remember every one of my four children's birth, especially Isaac's, because Not because he was a boy, you see we have three girls, but whilst he was being born at home, I got to watch England trounce Wales 2-0 in the World Cup qualifier on the TV in our bedroom. It's true. Lampard and Beckham got the goals. But the biggest thing was when the midwife took this, he wasn't a little boy actually, He felt like we were handling a three-month-old baby boy. And when they put him on the scales, he weighed a whopping 10 pounds, 12 ounces. He was a big lad. But this birth in Bethlehem, above all other births, before or after, is so significant because, listen to me, of who 
was born. You see, in the wisdom of God, God decided to come to earth from the comfort and safety of heaven by sending his one and only son, Jesus, born of a virgin. We actually believe that here in this church. The angels, upon coming to a group of shepherds, declared him to be the savior of the world. The whole story seems incredible, and it is incredible, but it's incredibly real and relevant. God sent light into the darkness. Why did he come, and what was his coming all about? Well, the world was broken. It was pain-filled. It was sinful and selfish. I'm just calling it as it was. People were far away from God, and there was a need for a mediator, a savior, a repairer. A bridge was needed to bring man back to God. And this is where Jesus came in. Some people think God is aloof, he's distant, angry, and irrelevant. You may feel this way too. But the Bible says something completely different about God. Listen to me this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, please listen to me this morning. If you get nothing else from this, please listen to this verse that I'm about to read to you. It declares in the Bible, for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but that they would have eternal life. For God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is not angry with you. God is not distant from you. God is not aloof. God is not irrelevant. God loves you. God came out of love. He came close. He so loved the world. This word so speaks of depth, intensity, and feeling, and emotion. God associated with our weaknesses and identified with mankind. He came to save the world, and not as many people think, to condemn the world. God came to a world that was undeserving, selfish, self-absorbed, stubborn, and guilty, much like today. Some say, God, well, you must have been stupid, reckless, ill-advised to do such a crazy thing. But it's God's love that drove him to send Jesus. The Bible says, I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. And I'm not being rude this morning, but neither do I as I look out upon this congregation. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose, listen to me, men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? He chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. God intentionally, not recklessly, wisely, not stupidly, graciously, not angrily, stepped into the world. To save the nobodies, the sinful, the wise and the stupid, the rich or the poor, the lawbreakers and the law abiders, the proud and the arrogant, the educated and the uneducated, the young and the old, the exceptional and the average, the popular and the rejected. For everyone, without exception, just like you and just like me. In 1989, Daniel Taylor, an American author, wrote a book titled Letters to My Children. It was a book written for his children 
The things he wanted them to learn, know and understand when it had long gone. And in this letter he writes to his son Matthew. And I'd like to read the letter to you as we draw to a close. He reads, Dear Matthew, when I was in sixth grade, I was an all-American. I was smart, I was athletic, I was witty and handsome and incredibly nice. Just like it could be described in me, actually. Just all those things. Just amazing, really. But things went downhill fast. This is in the letter. Because in junior, in junior high, but for this one year at least, I had everything. Unfortunately, I also had Miss Owens for an assistant teacher. And she helped Mr. Jenkins, our regular teacher. She knew that even though I was smart and incredibly nice, there was still a thing or two I could work on. One of the things you're expected to do in grade school was learn to dance. My parents may have had their reservations at first, but since this was square dancing, it was okay. And every time we went to work on our dancing, we did this terrible thing. The boys would all line up at the door of our classroom. And one at a time, each boy would take a a pick of a girl to be his partner. The girls all sat at their desks. As they were chosen, they left their desks and joined the snot-nosed kids who honored them with their favor. But believe me, the boys didn't like doing this. At least I didn't. But think about being one of those girls. Think about waiting to get picked. Think about seeing who was going to get picked before you. Think about worrying that you'd get picked by someone you couldn't stand. Think about worrying whether you were going to get picked at all. Think if you were Mary. Mary sat near the front of the classroom on the right side. She wasn't pretty, and she wasn't real smart. She wasn't witty. She was nice, but that wasn't enough in those days. And Mary certainly wasn't athletic. In fact, she had polio or something like that when she was younger. One of her arms was drawn up. She had a bad leg. And to finish it off, she was kind of overweight. Here's where Miss Owens comes in because Miss Owens took me aside one day and said, Dan, next time we have square dancing, I want you to choose Mary. She may as well have told me to fly off to Mars. It was an idea that was so new and inconceivable that I could barely hold it in my head. You mean pick someone other than the best, the most pretty, the most popular, when my turn comes? That seemed like breaking the law of nature or something. Then Miss Owens did a really rotten thing. She told me it was the Christian thing to do. I knew immediately that I was doomed. I was doomed because I knew she was right. It was exactly the kind of thing Jesus would have done. I was surprised, in fact, that I hadn't seen it on a Sunday school flannel board yet. Jesus choosing the lame girl for the Jewish dance. It was bound to be somewhere in the Bible. I agonized. Choosing Mary would go against all the coolness I'd accumulated. The day came when we were to square dance again. If God really loved me, I thought, he will make me last. Then picking Mary will cause no stir. I will have done the right thing and it won't have cost me anything. But you can guess where I was instead. For whatever reason, Mr. Jenkins made me first in line. And there I was with my heart pounding now. I knew how some of the girls must have felt. The faces of the girls were turned towards me, some smiling. I looked at Mary 
and saw that she was half turned to the back of the room, her face staring down at her desk. And Mr. Jenkins said, okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very far away. And I heard my voice say, I choose Mary. Never has reluctant virtue been so rewarding. I still fear, see her face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head and on her face, reddened with pleasure and surprise and embarrassment, all at the same time was the most genuine look of delight and even pride that I have ever seen before or since. It was so pure that I had to look away because I knew I didn't deserve it. Mary came and took my arm as we'd been instructed and she walked beside me, bad leg and all, just like a princess. Mary is my age now. I never saw her after that year. I don't know what her life's been like or what she's doing. I'd like to think she has a fond memory of at least one day in sixth grade. Because I know I do. Listen to me, friends, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. If you're wondering what the story of Christmas is really all about, let me try and sum it up in my concluding remarks. Jesus came to an unattractive world that we are part of. And he chose you and me to dance with him. The perfect kissing the imperfect The most holy touching the lowly. Light embracing darkness. The point of Jesus' birth was God reaching out with love, compassion and kindness. And his willingness to associate and touch untouchables like you and me. I'm a Christian believer. But often in the quietness of my room, I sit, I reflect upon what I see in the mirror, and I see myself as I really am without Jesus. Because I'm broken, I'm alone, I'm weighed down by my sins, I'm wanting, I'm in need, and I need a saviour. Listen to me, Jesus came to save you, to help you, to forgive you, and to love you. He offers you a life that is unequal anywhere. You can search wherever you want to. You won't find a life like what Jesus offers us. Because he comes to give us and make our life purposeful. We're no longer existing, but we're now living To give you peace in the midst of tremendous storms. To give you joy that is not dependent on whether the sun is shining or you have money in the bank or whether you buy that new toy dress or car. This is good news for everyone. Jesus, I really believe he asked me personally to invite you this morning to receive this free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus. Sure, you've been in many Christmas concerts, but this is like no other concert this morning for some of you. You're experiencing things in your heart like you've never experienced before. 
And it's Jesus. I remember as a teenager responding to Jesus as a result of a man standing and presenting the gospel, the good news like I've done this morning. And I remember responding to this is simple invitation by praying a prayer that I'm going to pray this morning. This morning, you may need to come back to God. This morning, you may need to come to God for the first time. But I want to invite everybody from the front to the back, from the left to the right, and all in the middle to respond to the free gift of salvation. I wonder if we just quietly close our eyes for a moment. If you have children, just keep them with you just for a moment. That's all we're going to be now. If you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to pray this prayer quietly in your heart and really mean it. Jesus, I know that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for loving me even though I have wronged you and I am so undeserving of your grace and your mercy. I recognize that you are the light that shines in the darkness. Thank you for coming to earth and identifying with me. And the sole purpose of you coming to earth was to die on a cross for my sins, to take away my old life and its ways, and to give me a new life, a brand new start. And Jesus... I receive you as my friend and as my savior and as my Lord. I invite you to come into my life and take control. I receive this new life that you offer me today. While every eye is closed and head is bowed, my eyes are open, but I don't want anybody else's eyes open. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, I really believe and know that people have prayed it. I wonder if you'd just do one thing for me, just so I know that you have responded. If you just quickly lift your hand where you are and put it down again. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else this morning who's saying yes to Jesus the very last time? Father, I pray for every one of these people who have responded to your invitation. I ask now that you would fill these people with your love and with your peace. I pray that you would wash them clean from the inside out. Holy Spirit, do your work. I ask this in Jesus' name. For those who prayed that prayer this morning that there was numbers of you numbers of you I don't know you may have come with somebody this morning you mustn't feel embarrassed by what you've just done because you've made the greatest decision that you can ever make heaven says all heaven sorry the bible says all heaven rejoices with those who've responded to Jesus so we rejoice with you but I want to encourage you to do just Two things for me. First of all, if you've come with somebody, as you're driving back with them or as you're walking back with them or whatever you're doing, just say to them, I prayed that prayer, Margaret, or I prayed that prayer, Jimmy, or I prayed that prayer, John, and they'll be able to help you. If you didn't come with anybody, 
then you need to see some one of the guys who have been on the platform. And we'd lo- love to talk fur- with, further with you. The second thing is, if you don't own a Bible, you may say, well, what do I do with this? Because you've got to do something with it. We want to give you a Bible this morning. We want to give you a free gift. I just encourage you, please. There's a resource hub, a reception area just downstairs. They're all ready, the receptionists. They all know what you're coming for. There's Bibles and resources. They're all available. So don't feel like, well, no, I wasn't. We want you to come and take a Bible from us. I want you to just begin to start to read the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just begin to read over this Christmas time. Just begin to read a few verses. And I'd encourage you to not just think, well, I'll come to church once a year. Because it's important when we've made a decision like this to get amongst a group of people who love Jesus like we do. If there's another good church nearby where you live, well, that's great. Go to that church. But get in a church that will really encourage you.